Laurie Rose, the two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap. It's Schumacher! It's Schumacher! about it, stick it on and send him out. Well, this has blown it for Irvine, blown it for Ferrari, I don't know what's happened. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum, and joining me because Matt is on vacation is Mr. Frenchy. Sir, how are you? Thanks for joining, thanks for hanging out. We've got lots of F1 stuff to get to today. Yeah, I'm doing good, I'm looking forward to it. Um, happy to stand in for Matt, although uh, there's some big shoes to fill, I guess. Yeah, well, listen, don't inflate his ego too much because then he's going to come back and, like, call me old, like, three times an episode instead of two times an episode if he if he gets to listening this week. But before we get to Hungary, which is this weekend, I, man, I don't want to start with the Red Bull stuff, so we're going to start with some silly season stuff and we'll work in. Oh, actually, I have a question for you first. So Tom Cruise was watching, you know, at, at Mercedes – box last weekend or two weekends ago and Harrison Ford was down with Williams Alfa Romeo somebody less good so if you were you know a team principal team owner team manager whatever what famous person would you want to watch the race with that is not in the racing world doesn't have to be an actor it can be a musician whatever you you get to pick who is your who's your celebrity that you want to hang out with it's a good question and because i Matt always calls you old, but I'm the one with like the actual old soul. So I kind of laugh every time he calls you that. But yeah. the first people that I think of are all passed away. So that's kind of awkward. Um, I guess they, I they can be included. Pick, we can resurrect them. To, that's that might be cool. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I want to say George Harrison because I know he used to be a big F1 fan and hang out with like Emerson Fittipaldi and Damon Hill, Jackie Stewart and all that. I think that'd be cool. Just, you know, he's a Beatle, my favorite Beatle at least. So that is an old type answer. One I respect though, because he's a very talented musician and I'm going to keep it in the music world. This probably doesn't come as a surprise to you or any of my close friends, but I would go with Ollie Sykes, lead singer of Bring Me the Horizon, UK based. I know he's, he's big into watching a lot of sports and I think his life story is super fascinating. So honestly, I'd probably sit there and just ask him about life and about music more than I would about the race, but he's a fun dude who doesn't really care what people think about him. And, and I would like to surround myself with more people like that. So on that note, we've got some silly season stuff. You brought this to my attention the other day and I forgot to post it on the PLP Twitter because well, like I told you beforehand, I think I'm on like day 2.5 of migraine and going on Twitter when you have a migraine is never fun, but so let's Did Twitter let's, pause your migraine? What's that? Did Twitter pause your migraine in the first place? <laughs> probably, man. Probably. So, let's uh, you know, in the hypothetical world that George Russell ends up at at Mercedes in 2022, the summer break will give Mercedes a good chance to kind of you know figure out what it wants to do and 
Mercedes has also said that one of its Formula E drivers would be a really good fit at Williams. So that'd be Nick DeVries, who won the F2 championship in 2018, I think, or Stoffel Van Dorn, who had that dismal year at McLaren, not really any fault of his own, and is also in Formula E. I'm kind of less excited by him, but to be honest with you, I don't don't really know much about Nick DeVries. So, what do you think? If if you had to pick between the two, obviously we also have. Well, we'll add in there Hulkenberg, who has thrown his name into the ring. I, I guess technically Dan ticked him, but I don't. That seems like super unlikely based on everything I'm hearing. And then uh, the torpedo, Danny Kvyat, has also put his name in in the ring there. So if you're picking from that list, who are you picking to? partner with Nicholas Latifi to be honest if I were Nick DeVries I probably wouldn't leave where I am because I think he's pretty young I think he's maybe 26 um and yeah he definitely he did win f2 in like 2018 2019 so he's one of those guys that probably should have gotten a shot in f1 so I would think they would pick him but he's currently first in the Formula E point standings after double um, second place finishes in London this past weekend. And he's already won two races in his rookie season. So I guess if, you know, probably his dream is F1 and he's probably the best choice to go to Williams. But do you leave Will like the Mercedes Formula E team to go drive around at a Williams? Well, I see your point. But F1... I mean, no offense to Formula E, F1. I would, I would rather ride around in a Williams, even if it meant like the occasional Q2 appearance. Like, let's say he, he's the George, he's the George Russell. You know, he makes some Q2 appearances, has has a, a few semi decent results here and there. Obviously, maybe Williams is better in 2022 and onwards with the new car and the new regulations. But obviously, that's yet to be seen. But I would rather be an F1 because there's probably more money. First and foremost, there's definitely more money. There's more of a chance. Maybe he impresses. And then, yeah, I know he's a little bit older than your typical F1 rookie at this point, being that he is 26. But, I mean, only two years ago, 2019, sorry, he was the F2 champion. This year, he's leading the Formula E schedule. He won the championship in for a, in the Korean Grand Prix. It's in Finland. It's not like Korean, the country. It's like K-O-I-R-A-N-E-N. So, you know, that Finnish spelling, some sort of Finnish series. He won that two year, won that, won two separate championships there. Oh, Formula Renault and then Euro Cup Formula Renault. I don't know what the difference is, obviously. And then Formula 3.5 the next year, he finished third. So he, he pretty much wins everywhere he goes. So he's definitely a good driver. He's he's yeah you know, he's got familiarity with most of the F one tracks. I mean Hulkenberg, yeah, it's Hulkenberg, but I don't know. I don't get the Hulkenberg fascination that most people have, and I know you agree with me. But Stoffel Van Dorn, I have no interest in seeing him. No, I think Nick is the choice, and I think honestly, going off what you said, it actually makes a little more sense to me now because. I mean, Lewis is, what, 39 or so at this point, maybe 38. So 
Uh, maybe he's older than that. I don't remember how old he is. I'm looking it up. But so I think maybe you could just take a Williams seat betting on the fact that Lewis would retire soon and you could potentially get into a Mercedes seat alongside Russell coming up in a few years. Lewis is 36, will be 37 this offseason. Okay, so I was a little off. I, your your point isn't isn't incorrect there. So on the on the same line, Toto Wolf feels that he has a responsibility to ensure that Valtteri Bottas has another seat in Formula One next year if he is not retained by Mercedes. Do you agree with Toto that he has a responsibility, or do you think Toto should just say buzz off Valtteri? If you were actually Toto, not not on our personal opinion of Botas, what would you do? Um, I don't really see why he feels the need to kind of control the driver market. Um, I mean, it's kind of his business to control his own team, and I guess those teams that have uh, an alliance with them. But no, I don't really feel like once the contract is over between them that he has any obligation to Botas. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. I I think because over the years they've they have jerked him around, said go fast, no, don't go fast, let Lewis buy, no, go fast. You're getting a crappy chassis that's been used six times, and Lewis is going to get the new one. We're going to put tires on your car that are two months old. Obviously, I'm exaggerating. I get Toto's, you know. Uh, humanity side here and in, in wanting to do the right thing but at the end of the day you kind of just have to worry about what's going on with your team and you can't spend all this time making sure Botas finds another ride because then it's like what what if you put him in a Alfa Romeo and all of a sudden he's Alfa Romeo or what if you put him in I don't know somewhere Alpine and all of a sudden he's battling with one of your cars like do you do you really want that because Botas as much as I can't stand him sometimes, he's not an awful driver. Like, he'll still be competitive-ish. So Yeah, he, yeah he's someone that you don't just kind of throw away. So I don't. I guess you don't really want to cut ties in case you ever need him in the future at Mercedes. Yeah. But I, I think controlling the driver market in that way, like, you're not his manager. So, or at least I don't think Toto's his manager. He does manage drivers, so... Yeah, yeah, good point, good point there. Okay, so this story is kind of, sort of confusing, and I don't know if you saw this a a couple weeks ago, but it had been figured out because Mick Schumacher's mom was talking to Gunther Steiner that he was actually, the seat was in the car crooked, which, I mean, it's Haas, What what do we expect? I don't know why this took six weeks to fix, like they had to take you know into they like why couldn't they just do another seat fitting in like the last two weeks while they head off so they're gonna fix that this this week prior to the hungarian grand prix starting i don't know why mick didn't speak up but i guess you know you're kind of just trying to survive your first year in f1 with haas and your teammate torpedoing you at the start of every race for the last month now so that was kind of interesting kind of strange and i guess really oh god i don't i i'm so tired of talking about this red bull bs but we have to we have to bring it up and then we'll get to i know you had something 
and then we'll talk about Hungary. So Red Bull has lodged a request for the FIA to review the crash between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen at Silverstone. If you've lived under the biggest of rocks, please just go to YouTube. I'm not talking about the damn crash again. But essentially what this means is they will have a video conference 4 p.m., uh, European time, I believe, ahead of the Hungarian Grand Prix on Thursday. So by the time you hear this Friday, the conference will have already taken place. Mercedes has been told a team representative must attend the hearing, but it will be allowed to send up to three team members. Uh, this is a Red Bull decision, as Red Bull had the ability to kind of ask for this further review if new evidence has come to light. So they present this evidence, whatever it is, to the FIA, and the FIA says, okay, you can move forward with this review. We don't know what that is. I, I can't, it can't be video-related because we've already seen that. It can't be telemetry data because that's already been a push of the original accident the last time this happened was 2019 in montreal when ferrari pushed for a review after a vettel penalty for forcing hamilton off track the fia deemed at the time that vettel a vettel witness statement a video analysis from karun shan uh shanhawk and other videos and photos were not significant and relevant enough, so the review was dropped. So I guess this is pretty big if this review is, you know, bringing to light new data. So what are, what are your thoughts on this cluster F? Yeah, I, I think the data, whatever it is, the evidence that they would have to bring would basically have to be some kind of sworn statement from Lewis saying that he purposely wrecked <laughs> Matt for this to do anything. Because it's the FIA, and they don't really like it when you question them, right? Like, they're now going to lock the door of the steward's room during the race, so you can't come in yeah. and try to, I guess, influence their decisions or anything. They, I mean, it would have to be pretty big evidence that, because it's egg on their face if they have to go back and reverse their decision of just a 10-second penalty. Yeah, I, I just feel like at this point, this goes to what I said to Matt last week, like, all right, I, I get it from Red Bull's point, but like you got to focus on on you know the championship battle here. You're wasting so many time, so much time and money and resources and whatever on this review. And it listen, there there might be evidence. I'm not going to say there isn't, but I mean, what what else can we really find at this point? So I I don't know. I guess we'll keep you in in. We'll, we'll we'll make sure everybody's up to date on what's going on there. I don't know how quick these reviews happen, but yeah, I I, I did before we get to to your thing. Max Verstappen did a twenty four hour sim race to make sure he was ready for this weekend because he's all bruised and battered and still complaining, obviously. So good to see that he can. I guess you know I don't think we'll have any worry about him. I had heard some rumors that Alex Albon was actually testing in Silverstone in the off week to prep just in case. Oh, and I forgot to mention that Alex Albon is also being looked at by IndyCar teams. So if you listen to our IndyCar Silly Season episode, 
Alex Aldon might be over in America next year. We and Christian see. Lundgaard we found yesterday. And Christian Lundgaard, yeah, yeah. That that Christian Lundgaard, uh, the news came out four minutes after I hung up with with our with our guests yesterday, which is really frustrating because we don't usually record on a Monday. But since Matt's on vacation, I had I changed around the schedule this week, and well, you know. The racing gods have a way of making sure that pit lane parlay is four minutes late on the news. Anyway, before we get to Hungary, you had something pretty cool that you found in an article. I'll let you bring it up, and we'll dive into something slightly not new news. Yeah, before I get to that, actually, I I had pulled up an article while you were mentioning the crooked seat with Schumacher, and some of these quotes are hysterical. Like, everyone's focused on Red Bull and... Mercedes, um, and then Haas is over in the corner with like these absurd, just oh yeah, the seat was crooked and we didn't know type mistakes, <laughs> like <laughs> bigger bigger concerns in the rest of F one, and Haas is just over there doing Haas things. But uh, I think the best one I see out of this article from uh, PlanetF1.com is that Steiner uh, has said, "We hope it's not crooked." The next one, referring to the seat, so it's it's like that's uh, kind of pathetic. But um, you you do you, Gunther and Haas. Yeah, um, it's it's just so it's 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 embarrassing. And I'm sorry, guys. I don't have any story time updates this week. I have been too busy to pester our lovely British friend. That would have made your migraine worse for sure. Oh God, I I would have ended up in the hospital. Maybe you need uh some rich energy. Maybe that's a migraine cure. If we ask him, I bet he'll say yes. You know, I'm going to try that this this evening when we get done recording here. I like it. Go ahead. Okay, so um, what I wanted to talk to you about was an article that I found on F1.com recently um, about the five most expensive Formula One cars ever to be sold at auction. Um, because recently... One of Lewis Hamilton's cars, the 2010 MP425A, um, was just sold at auction. And interestingly, it sold for 4.8 million pounds, um, which is about $6.6 million Holy um, at RM Sotheby's auction. But that's not even a championship winning car. That's 2010. So I don't remember where Lewis finished in the championship. It was probably in the top three. Um, but it's just, it's the first Hamilton car apparently to ever have been sold at auction. So it just goes to show you, um, how much money those are eventually going to be worth. Um, but so let me read these five most expensive formula one cars ever to be sold at auction. And then I want to ask you a question about them. Okay. Go for it. Uh, in fifth place, we have the 93 MP48, um, driven by Senna took his last Monaco Grand Prix victory, and that sold for 3.6 million pounds, which is about $5 million in 2018. Um, In fourth place was that McLaren that we were just talking about. Then in third place is the 2002 Ferrari F2002, um, a Michael Schumacher Grand Prix winning car, one of the most dominant ever, because that season was incredible. Um, Sold for 5 million pounds in 2019 which is up close to $7 million uh, in today's Holy money. Shit. And then we have two other, or one other Schumacher car, the 2001 Ferrari, sold for $5.5 in 2017. 
And lastly, the most expensive ever was the 1954 Mercedes driven by Juan Manuel Fangio, who took his second championship in that car um, for a cool 19.6 million pounds. Wow. That's like, what, 25 million? uh, More than that. I think it's about close to 35 million pounds. Wow. 30 million, I believe. 35 or 30 million dollars. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. All right. All right. I dig it. So I wanted to ask you, given what Formula One cars go for, if you had the keys to any of these collections out there of Formula One cars, I know Zach Brown's got a pretty cool one sitting there wherever he stores all his cars. Which would you pick up as a, an investment piece? What do you think is going to be worth? Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! and top these that have sold in the future so i so i'm gonna go one that's kind of new school and one that's really old and probably very unlikely one of the red bulls from vettel's championship run i think would be cool or likewise if max holds on this year and beats mercedes i mean that's that's a mega value car right there because they are the ones who finally took down lewis hamilton and mercedes after 64 straight years on the other end this is highly unlikely but i've always been fascinated with kind of the 
I don't want to call it like pre-Formula One days, but the Formula One days before it was like super organized and, and as it was like in the early 50s when it was like just becoming organized. But let me pull it up here. One of the Ferrari 375s or 375Ss, which was driven by Alberto Ascari, who the first, I think it was one of the first years of quote-unquote organized Formula One which like a full season, he won five out of the six out of the seven races, seven out of the eight races in the next year, same thing. So I would love to get my hands on an old Ferrari like that because I could actually probably drive it around the street without killing myself because it's probably not, not too super powerful. But yeah, that would be that would be mine too. What about you? That's that's a super good choice. I think when it comes to Ferrari and then Ascari, who we know tragically died not long after winning those championships, that's going to be worth a lot of money. Um, for me, I think when I was thinking about this, given that this was the first Lewis car ever sold and it wasn't even a championship car, I think you go back to his 2008 McLaren MP4 23 that he won. Yeah, uh, against Felipe Massa, and I think that's one that you have to have, just knowing that it was Lewis's first championship and it started this dominant run he had. And then I also think another one that would be really collectible is James Hunt's 1976 McLaren, just for the mm. cultural impact that it has with the Rush film and just everyone knowing James Hunt in that season. Yeah, I dig that. I like it. All right, it's Hungary. It's the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend. Let's see. First, I need to pull up the timing of everything this weekend. And while we get there, I thought it was pretty interesting. So you know the the F two and F three schedules this year is you know they don't race all that often. They race three races in a weekend. And the F two president or F two manager said our schedule sucks. Said it's too difficult. Three races in a weekend is really hard for fans to follow. It's really hard to get any sort of continuity. It's a little bit more confusing with like when does the what what does qualifying matter versus fastest lap of the race matter? When does the grid get inverted? It's it's definitely more difficult to follow. I mean, you know, this weekend in Hungary, F three is racing at four thirty AM Saturday, eleven AM Saturday, and then four AM Sunday. Like I'm I can't do. I can't stay up there. And yeah, I'll watch it on replay, but yeah, it's it's difficult. And I think there's also Porsche supercars this weekend. But the F1 schedule: Friday morning practice, which I will not be up for, is 5:30 a.m. Saturday morning qualifying, 9 a.m. Sunday morning race time, 9 a.m. All times Eastern. We don't care about Central Time Zone, especially since Matt isn't recording this week. He's off eating blue cheese in some cabin somewhere probably. So and listening to the Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, he's definitely listening to the Stone Temple Pirates uh Pilots. Oh my god, I'm almost butchered that. Hungary results last year, the top 5 were why my list disappeared again. I promise you. I I think I it's Lewis, remember. Max and Valtteri. I'm pretty sure were the top 3. Yep. Yep. Can you tell me who was 4th and 5th that weekend? In 2019, because we didn't have one in 2020, right? No, we had one in 2020. Oh, we did? Okay. I see that it's the time has gone by, and I just don't even remember. Yeah, it was um, actually like a year ago last week. Okay. 
for some reason I thought Hungary was one of the ones that we didn't have last year, but I guess I'm wrong. It all blended together. Being stuck inside my house like a prisoner, <laughs> like everybody else. Um, so I think I would guess that it was probably a Ferrari like Leclerc or Sainz, and maybe Norris was one of the fourth and fifth, one of those, or is it unpredictable? Oh, it, was it? Yeah. Was it Racing Point? Racing Point is one. Lance Stroll is in fourth. Wow. Okay. Don't think that's going to happen again this year. And fifth was Alex Albon. Ah, yes. Okay. Again, someone who I kind of forgot about. No offense to Albon. Yeah. Yeah, he's off in DTM, obviously, like I mentioned, also looking at IndyCar. I love, and get your thoughts here, I actually, I love Hungary. It's a really cool track. It's not great for passing. I'd say kind of like Sector 1 in the first half of Sector 2 are pretty good for passing, and then you really have to wait until you get back on the straightaway. So it's 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 a but it's a very tough place. A lot can go wrong. It's very tight and windy. You can easily end up in a <laughs> hitting a wall or spinning there. So it's it's a pretty cool track. Agree, disagree. I I'm pretty sure I know your answer here. Oh, I completely agree. I, this is one of the places that I love doing the most in the F1 video games, and I yes. love watching races there, even if the action is not necessarily really great close racing. I think we get a lot of memorable results and moves on people. Um, I mean, I know that both Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button both won their first Grand Prix at Hungary. And Damon Hill won his back in the 90s, and we had a race where he almost won at an Arrows. So there's been a lot of great races. Nelson Piquet made that awesome Tokyo Drift-style pass on Senna going into the first turn back in the... Yeah late 80s so there's been some really cool races there and i'm excited to see what happens this weekend because i think max is going to be even more fired up than he usually is so on that note have you raced the f121 video game on your new xbox yet i have done some f2 i have not done any f1 driving yet i'm pretty sure i dnf'd at hungary or did I finish like ninth? It was one or the other. I I I'm starting to get a feel for the game a little bit more now, but I'm pretty sure I smacked a wall pretty hard there. I and listen that that inside curb right at the beginning of sector two. If you hit that, you're spinning in circles, and I'm pretty sure I struggled with that one. I think that's turn five right there. I want to say yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's super hard. Yeah. Yeah, turn can... five, turn six is turn four. Yeah, no, turn five and turn six is is murder in more so more so in the video game than real life. But it's a brutal one. All right, can I just say first that I'm yeah. really mad that there are no classic cars in the new game as a history yeah, nerd. They'll they'll be there. They'll be there, and the new tracks will be there eventually. I I think they kind of rushed to get this game out for for whatever reason. So yeah. anyway, yeah. I, I do agree. I can't wait for the classic cars to come back, but we'll supplement that with some fun F2 races in the meantime. Anyway, let me pull up who's driving this year because despite covering every race, I still forget who some of the guys in the series are sometimes. That's what you call overtired. We're going to call this migraine brain. First up on the prediction list, we'll go with... We're going to do reverse of what Matt usually does the prediction orders. Who is joining the Q3 eliminations with the typical 
guys. So let's pretend Haas is definitely there. At least Latifi is definitely there. Maybe Russell. But yeah, who who is going to be the surprise Q3 elimination? I think a surprise Q3 elimination. Let's say that we see, I guess, Stroll getting eliminated. If that's maybe a little bit surprising, okay. but also not this year. He hasn't been incredible. I could see him yeah. out pretty early. I'm going to go... I don't know if this is a surprise, but he's made Q2 like every every week. I'm going to go George Russell. I don't know if this is considered a surprise, but Matt's not here to tell me it's not. So I'm going to go with that because he's, he's been so good getting into Q2 and even Q3 the last couple races that I think he, he comes back down. Okay, a dark horse to make the top 10 in the race. Let's go with my my boy Geo. Let's say that he uh, qualifies tenth. Probably no better than that in the Alpha, but uh, no, this is finishing the race. Oh, finishing the race, tenth. Yeah, mm. in the top ten. Yeah, let's just still go with that. It's not going to happen, Gio. but it'll be. I mean, he's he's finished <laughs> what I think tenth at Monaco this year, so he's got to yeah. qualify really well to get up into tenth. But I'll I'll say it just to be wrong. All right, I'm gonna go with Yuki Sonoda. Started to round back into form the last couple weeks. Had a had a good Silverstone. I mainly only got into points because his teammate Pierre Gasly had a tire puncture on the last lap or second to last lap. But I think Yuki's in, in form for a, a good result this weekend. Okay. Who's having a bad weekend? Um, I think we're going to see it in a Ricardo bad weekend oh. even though he's won a race there i think it was 2014 or something like that i don't yeah. think he's gonna do so well this weekend okay all right i am going to go with carlos signs ferrari keeps talking about how they're not expecting much this weekend which if ferrari has no confidence before a weekend starts doesn't lead me to feel good things about them all right, who's having a good weekend? I think, and I would just say Max, but I think that's too predictable. Um, I think having a good weekend is Lando. He's probably going to have a good weekend. I think he's been on a streak, and I think the consistency and the momentum with him matters a lot. It seems like he's somebody who really gets up um, and going in the saddle kind of thing if he's got momentum. Yeah. All right, I like it. You stole mine, so I'm a little pissed, but... I don't want to go with Ricardo because then ends up a teammate battle. I'm going to go with Sergio Perez. Hasn't had a great track record at Hungary, but he's in the Red Bull. And I think he's due for a good weekend. We're going to add a surprise prediction here that I literally thought up while you were talking. Will there be drama between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton this weekend? I thought you were going to say between the Haas teammates because they seem to like to collide with one another. I mean, another that's too. that's that's a given. I'm sure you know Mazepin right now is saying like is just like he he probably like you know somebody stands in the mirror and like practices like a speech they're giving at like a conference or something like that. Like Mazepin stands in the mirror and practices his bullshit apology to like Gunther Steiner and his teammate. Like I didn't mean to do it. I he was just there. I'm racing. And you know whatever else, whatever other garbage he says. So he's the one that, that made I got the that. seat crooked. He sabotaged yeah. <laughs> it. <laughs> he went in with a screwdriver, made it crooked just enough so nobody noticed for seven weeks or whatever it's been. 
But let's start that conspiracy somewhere. Yeah, I think we should. Well, I'll go on Reddit tonight and I'll say I'll I'll create a, an account called William Story's Best Friend. <laughs> Knowing how people feel about Mazepin, I, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would believe it and spread that around. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so which is sad. Dr- drama this weekend between Red Bull and Mercedes could be on track, could be more intense off track barbs being traded in the media throughout the weekend. So. Do you think it's going to get even more intense this weekend? Yeah, I think we're just seeing the beginning of this. I I was watching some clips earlier today, and I think it was 2019. Max and Lewis had a really great battle. Actually, Lewis went around the outside at turn four and had to give up a position and everything. But I think we're going to see some really hard racing because both of them are hard racers as it is. But now just kind of, with all the posturing of the teams back and forth and really pitting them against each other, it's going to be more personal now. So I think there's going to be a, a big battle. I agree. I, th- I think we're in for some epic war of words and war on the track. I think it's going to be both this weekend. So yeah. Anyway, I don't have anything else. Uh, so yeah, guys enjoy the race this weekend. I think Matt's back from vacation next week. Frenchie, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate you filling Matt's seat for the week. It was nice making it 35 minutes without being called old for once. So everybody have a lovely weekend of racing, and we will be back next week to talk about it. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Monty in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.